On Monday, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced an explosive finding. Over the past number of weeks, Canadian security agencies have been actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the killing of a Canadian citizen, Hardeep Singh Nijar. Hardeep Singh Niger. He lived in Canada and was known as a separatist Sikh leader. That meant to India, Niger was viewed as a terrorist. And now, Trudeau was telling the world, India was responsible for his killing. Our top priorities have therefore been, one, that our law enforcement and security agencies ensure the continued safety of all Canadians, and two, that all steps be taken to hold perpetrators of this murder to account. The announcement kicked off a sort of geopolitical tit-for-tat. First, Canada ordered the expulsion of an Indian diplomat. India denied the allegations, and then they expelled a Canadian diplomat. It's rare that we see um, allegations about another country killing a different country's citizen on a different country's soil. Karishma Mehrotra is on the ground in Delhi for The Post. She says this is a defining moment for two world powers whose relationship was already unraveling. The allegations are quite damning. Also, the diplomatic spat here of expelling various diplomats from both India and Canada, it's basically showing a new and large rupture in the India-Canada relationship that was already quite frayed uh, to begin with. But we're seeing a new level and a new escalation now with this incident. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm your guest host, Rachel Siegel. It's Tuesday, September 19th. Today, the killing of Hardeep Singh Niger and the geopolitical crisis his death is now igniting. So maybe let's back up a bit and start at the beginning. Explain to me who was killed and why the killing was so significant. Yeah, so this killing was uh, a man named Hardeep Singh Nijar, who um, he was part of this movement called Khalistan, which is advocating for the creation of a separate Sikh state in the Punjab region of India. So Nijar was born in India, but then he became a Canadian citizen. And he was very much involved in Sikh politics there. But he was also a designated terrorist by Indian security agencies, you know, in 2020. And he was accused of operating and funding and leading many of the violent attacks that were happening inside Punjab in India. And also being a part of Khalistan, which is very much not okay in India. I see. So you're describing many layers of the Indian government not being supportive of the movement that he was a part of. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that movement also goes back decades. What we saw in the 1980s was a massive Sikh insurgency, and it was triggered by an Indian army raid on the Sikhs' holiest shrine. The government's patience finally snapped. 
Troops reportedly stormed the temple. They met with stiff and apparently fanatical resistance from Sikh extremists inside. And in that, there was a, a very important Sikh leader who was killed. And what we have seen recently over the past five or so years is a sort of hearkening back to that time in the 80s. We have basically um, an increasing turmoil that some senior security officials say is, is looking to be problematic and is related to the call for the independent state of Khalistan. And um, they've been signaling that alarm and they have been on this month-long chase after this man named Amritpal Singh. He was also a self-described separatist. And in that, we saw a mass amount of arrests. We saw an internet shutdown. And again, it was a, a lot of fears of what happened in the 1980s might come back. Something interesting from that time, just to give some context, you know, I went to Punjab during the chase of Amrit Singh. And one of the things I heard on the ground that I thought was quite interesting was many people were saying, you know, if Modi supporters, if Prime Minister Narendra Modi supporters can call for a Hindu nation, then why can't we call for a Sikh one? So a lot of what we're also seeing with Sikh separatism is not to be disassociated from what we see with the rise of Hindu nationalism in the country. Karishma, tell me more about what Niger was doing in Canada. When did he get there and what else do we know at this point? So we know that he actually had started a plumbing company when he went to Canada, but then he slowly became more and more involved in the Khalistan movement in Canada. And he ultimately was shot um, by mass gunmen in his vehicle in June of this year. And this was outside of a temple outside of Vancouver. And we know that this came amongst India sort of um, ratcheting up their campaign to pressure countries like Canada, Australia, Britain um, to crack down on what they were seeing uh, with the pro-Khalistan protests. And at this point, why does Trudeau think that the Indian government was so closely linked to Niger's death? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's not that Trudeau gave us a lot of evidence or to answer that question. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can necessarily answer why he thinks so. But when he did speak to the House of Commons on Monday afternoon, he said he had, quote, deep concerns. Any involvement of a foreign government in the killing of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil is an unacceptable violation of our sovereignty. Um, and that he had expressed these deep concerns to Indian security and intelligence officials, including at the G20 this month. But in terms of evidence, I think it's something, it's a story that's still unfolding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what has been happening just in the last couple of days? Did the Indian government respond to what Trudeau was saying? And, and if so, what did that kind of response look like? Yeah, so the Indian government definitely responded. They called the announcement absurd and motivated. Mm. They have uh, tried to sort of uh, focus attention on the fact that India has tried to convey their strong concerns about, quote, anti-India, quote, activities um, happening within Canada. And they are trying to um, emphasize the fact that the 
the promotion of secessionism, the incitement of violence against Indian diplomats, and the threatening sort of ways in which Canadian citizens have acted, uh, including attacks on Hindu temples. Mm. They are trying to emphasize the fact that Canada has not been cooperative in making sure that these incidents don't happen. So they've very much denied the allegations and tried to shift focus to what their main security concerns are. We saw that Canada expelled an Indian diplomat who was believed to be the head of India's intelligence services in Canada. And then India expelled a Canadian diplomat. Do we have a sense of what it means in the first place to expel a diplomat? Yeah, I mean, I think when countries decide to expel a diplomat. And one thing to keep in mind is the wording they use for this is interesting. So whether they decide to expel, whether they decide to request a leave, whether they tell the name of the diplomat or not, these are all things to look for for how forceful they want to be. But the act itself is sort of this tool in their toolbox, in their diplomatic toolbox, of um, showing another country how they feel about that country and the, the current state of their diplomatic relationship. So amongst the many things that a country can do to present signals um, of either friendliness or not-so-friendliness, this is one of them. I see. Okay. And Karishma, from where you are, what is the reaction that you're seeing in India to this news? Is this something that is getting attention in the media or on social media in India? And what is the sentiment that you're seeing look like? Um, it's a bit of a mixed opinion. I think on one hand, it's definitely getting attention for one. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think some people have reacted actually, uh, you know, in a way that this is a show of force, that India mm -hmm. is able to, you know, show who's boss. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people again, refocusing on the fact that Canada has been uncooperative. Uh, and that seems to be the main focus. Of course, in Punjab and the people that I know in Punjab are very much focused on the way that, and not all people in Punjab, but there are some people in Punjab that I speak to that are very much focused on the way that the Indian state has been oppressive against Sikhs in the state. Hmm. Um, but there are also a lot of people who are very clear that uh, Sikh separatism is a very dangerous form of terrorism and that it should not be allowed to even be spoken of in terms of activism or freedom of speech or anything like that. So it's a range of opinions, as always, but it's definitely getting attention, no doubt about that. After the break, we dig into how Canada's tense relationship with India has only gotten worse. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. So now we're looking at this fraught relationship between India and Canada. Before what happened this week, what was the relationship between those two countries like? Oh, it was definitely deteriorating. 
So they had trade talks that were going on. And just before G20, we uh, get news that they were paused and we didn't really have clear details of why. Also, you know, India has brought up with Canada many times the issues of Sikh separatism, the issue of their diplomatic presence in Canada being physically threatened. There were issues that India had brought up of posters of their diplomatic personnel being shown as uh, should be killed. And uh, we did also hear in G20 that Canada was sort of sidelined and did not feel very involved. And so, yeah, their relationship has been deteriorating for some time now. And now with this news, we realize a lot of the reason why for the past couple months that we've been seeing this. And to zoom out a bit more to look at the rest of the geopolitical landscape, is Canada alone here? Do they have allies that are also pushing back against India? So actually, uh, Canada did want to have a joint announcement or statement about these findings. And they sought help from their allied nations, including the United States, these nations of allies that are known the Five Eyes. And they denied to have a joint statement. And, you know, these countries, especially the U.S., are really, you know, are going very far to make sure that India stays a strategic ally. Hmm. And they're really trying to court India, uh, especially as a counterweight to China. So this comes at a very, I would say, diplomatically awkward time between hmm. um, these countries. And I think what we saw with these allied nations of Canada not wanting to have that joint statement is them making it clear at the moment where they want to place their bets and where they want to strengthen ties. And then if we were to look within India, are there consequences that Prime Minister Modi is weighing or considering if tensions were to get worse from here? It depends on a couple things. It depends on, A, what is the evidence that Trudeau can show How convincing is it to make his allies, especially the U.S., really come out? I mean, as of now, we don't have necessarily a great amount of evidence that shows that the U.S. would have to be pulled out of a sort of silent and cautious position into saying something. So until and unless the U.S. is compelled in a particular way to say something about this, I don't think we can say that India is necessarily in any different geopolitical waters. So right now what we're seeing is the U.S. is making it very clear that they want India to be a very strong strategic partner. We've just come off of the G20 where the U.S. played a vital role in making sure that its European allies would be on board with a joint statement from the G20 that was not as strong on the Ukraine war as maybe the European allies would have wanted, but the U.S. really wanted, uh, A, a multilateral success, and B, an Indian success. And that came after a trip that Prime Minister Narendra Modi took to the U.S. um, in a state visit where he was given a very, you know, fabulous red carpet. Um, And so what many people are telling us is that the relationships between the countries, the best that it's ever been, uh, especially in terms of intelligence sharing, in terms of military deals, um, trade talks, it sort of reached a new level of closeness that we've actually never seen before. 
And as you follow that story and watch it unfold, what else are you going to be looking for that will fill in some of these gaps? I think, A, like I said, what the evidence is, how does mm-hmm. Trudeau manage to convince his allies that what he's talking about is worthy, is sort of foolproof, and is convincing enough that an ally like the U.S. should decide that a new key strategic partner should be condemned in some way. So I think that we need to watch for that evidence. We need to watch for the way that the allies decide to react And I do think that the trade talks uh, and in terms of the economic relationship between Canada and India is something to watch because it is a new rupture to see the economic relationship between the two countries also become frayed because of this political problem. And we should watch to see the pressures in either country to continue an economic relationship holds through or if the politics of this moment decides to outweigh whatever relationship they have. Karishma, thank you so much for breaking this down for us. Thank you so much for having me. Karishma Mehrotra is a South Asia correspondent for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh and Ariel Plotnik. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. Thanks to Alan Cypress. If you want to show your support for the show, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work we do, and you get access to the kind of in-depth international reporting you just heard here. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Rachel Siegel. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.